1: This is the Land and Legacy Podcast with your host Adam Keith, Matt Dye. It is week number two of Missouri turkey season. Of course, we're hard at it. And following up from our last podcast, we were into, I guess, the second half of week number one. Now we're going into week number two. Things have got a little more difficult than they... Last week, we were riding the high. This week, we're kind of down in the valley. Uh, We've had a lot of rainy days, a lot of quiet mornings, even though... Everything seemed to be perfect, um, and it's just. But it's turkey season, That's so right. we're out That's there right. every every chance we can get. We got a couple of other other topics we want to cover. We've been on a consulting trip, uh, a really unique consulting trip. A lot of cool stuff happening on that farm, and I think it's a farm that a lot of people can relate to. And we've also got a, a question from a from a listener that we're going to answer and cover that the best we can or cover it in every way we can um and so matt do you care to start
0: absolutely i, I kind of wish we had more of a, a turkey kill to talk about but this is the, the highs and lows of, of turkey season that kind of everyone goes through if you've hunted turkeys long enough but like adam said we're after the the last part of the first week um we got into birds thursday morning we had a rain shower coming in about 10 o'clock and um i was on the gun and many of you guys are following along. Um, and know that I'm carrying my granddad's double barrel. And it's kind of a special thing to me. And um, it's just, it's real special just to carry along and, and know that my granddad toted it. But anyhow, we get set up. Birds are gobbling. They come in and are early. And as we're getting set up, hens start calling on the roost. So we know there's hens roosted right there with the toms. Anyhow, they pitch down. And we're 120 yards out. Looking at them across the field, we're trying to scoot closer and get set up. Finally, we get to a good position. Call to the birds; they answer, but they're not leaving the hens. And this is actually the same property that Adam and his brother doubled on. And we've mentioned prior podcast at the way the property lays out. There's a creek that just meanders through the entire property with the high banks, and of course, these birds were in a field. Their roosts are right along the creek, pitched down into a field, and Lucky for us, we were able to get down in that creek after 40 minutes or so of knowing those birds weren't going to come and, and trying to work them, trying to excite those hens, and and um, we were in a
1: race against us against and, the weather too.
0: It was kind of the constant every 10 minutes, look down at your phone and see where the, the storm front was at, and we were running out of time. And uh, we got down in the creek and made our way, crept closer, got to 50, crept a little closer, probably got to about 35 yards, and and crept over the lip of the bank. And Adam's got the the birds in frame. I ease the shotgun up. Click. Click, again. So two more misfires. I had one opening day, and here, here's the saddest news. I I've got to take the gun into a shop because birds on camera in turkey season, and three misfires now, and I I just can't gamble with it anymore. So unfortunately. The double barrel has got to go to the shop. I'm not sure if the, the springs and the firing pin have just worn out. Um, but, of course, practiced with the gun multiple times. Took quail hunting this winter and never had a misfire until now, until the birds are in range 15 yards and 35 yards. And that's the way it goes sometimes. But so the shotgun is it's not... An early retirement it's just it's in the shop it'll be in the shop here it's um, on the d l the disabled it, list exactly there we go um so that's that's the unfortunate news um so those birds that was actually away. the
1: last those were the last birds long beards long beards we had in range, yes, and that So was, you may have cursed us
0: <laughs> I hope not <laughs> um so uh, uh, unfortunate news, but nonetheless um. That was that was the la- the last long beard encounter that had him in, in the gun range. Um, but as Adam said earlier, we had rains come in. It's it's pouring down rain today. We w- weren't even able to go um, this morning. But it was Monday. We went out with your dad and had kind of an exciting hunt. Birds gobbled good on the and They well, flew down. I'll and just I'll just nothing. first
1: say, uh, you know, the family farm in the lease are almost always there's always birds there every spring we get on them. And l- last year we actually. Between my dad, Matt, and my brother and myself, we killed seven toms. A couple of yeah. those weren't on that property, but most of them were. I think all but one or two were shot somewhere else. So um, there's always birds there. But this year, I don't know they're just hinned up or what's going on. But we haven't really heard that many. So Sunday morning, we started out on the family farm. They gobbled on the lease. So Monday morning, we started on the lease, and they gobbled on the family farm. Except for one, and he flew down and shut up and we finally got around on the farm got some birds in range they were coming in we we're kind of like you know that one sounds good but i think there's a jake mi- jake mixed in it just so happened to be two jakes and uh
0: one loudmouth jake one loudmouth i mean fooled us i've been fooled before but this one surprised us all
1: yeah <laughs> he was uh and if, when they first came in they didn't gobble they drifted off. And then they came back in, and they got fired up, and they started gobbling. And So we were like, oh, let's have a little fun with them. Yeah. And we started cutting and raising all kinds of sounds at them and uh, got to a point where we were yelling, Who's your daddy? And where's your grandpa? And uh,
0: they I
1: was back. doing my, my best Merriam turkey mm-hmm. gobble. Oh, no, 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 no. And they would gobble back. So I moved like a cow, and they gobbled back. Screamed at them. They gobbled back. Um, they were just all sorts of wound up and and, and my is 30, 30 yards changed.
0: away in the food plot too so yeah within plain sight and it just kind of goes to show just how silly these birds are but uh, and how fired up they can get so we had we had fun with them once we knew that uh no longbeard was was in that group but uh, boy torn up that's exactly what they were torn up um, so it's just kind of fun fun experience but um, we try to get back on birds and, and just haven't been able to. Yesterday
1: it, it, morning we had fantastic weather, perfect, the and ideal. We were at your family farm, yeah, and we heard a few gobbles way off, and that was as close as to a, the as close to a gobbler as we got was a faint gobble on the neighboring way property. Down, yeah, way maybe down the, the neighboring neighboring property, very possible. Um, and that pretty much wraps up our update. Uh, for turkey, for we'll the, be
0: back out tomorrow, though.
1: Yeah, rain moving out. We've got rain today. Rain moves out, and then we we've got tomorrow. But then we turn around, and we've got Friday and Saturday of rain, and yep. Sunday morning of rain. Monday and Tuesday look good, um, and then we're that's the start of the closing week, the, the final week. week. So
0: don't say that; it's gone way way too fast.
1: Yeah, but hopefully we can get somewhere, maybe Kansas, Wyoming, after Missouri. And, yeah, that'd be great. And keep chasing them because we're not ready to hang it up yet. No, but I'm never ready to hang it up. So, um, anyway, that, that wraps up that. Let's go ahead and dive in with our question from yeah, a listener. Absolutely. I'll let you take that.
0: Um, Travis Smith out of Michigan sent us a question through email. Um, and if you don't know how that works, we've got a, a place on our website, landlegacy.tv. You can go, if you're following along, listening along, and you've got a question that comes up, go to the spot. It's on our homepage, submit a question And we're going to answer it in the following podcast or or hope to answer those questions. And Travis Smith asks, can you talk about broadcasting seeding methods? I I do a lot of frost seeding, clover and chicory, and even frost seed oats in the mud in late April. So I top seed my cereals and top sow my cereal grains in August, but never seed summer seeds like soybeans, peas, etc. And join the podcast. Can you talk more about them? So... What we talked about last week were a high-diversity summer blends. And we went over the mix that we use. And, of course, like Travis says, there are larger seeds like soybeans and peas. And he'd like to know how we have success broadcasting those larger seeds. So, Adam, I'll let you kind of start in on, on the process and the things that need to happen to get the success that we've had With
1: broadcasting larger seeds. So I guess to give a little bit of the background, I've been broadcasting larger seeds, soybeans, different stuff, for several years, a lot of years actually. Um, Ideally, I will say, wouldn't it be nice when you're in that circumstance to have a no-till drill? That's kind of the ideal circumstance. But in regards to the people that don't, you've got to find other methods. Broadcasting
0: uh, the larger seeds is is an alternative to no till drilling. We'd love to no till drill, but don't always have the means. That's the ideal way. Don't have that the I um, the means to or the location doesn't set up. You'd have to cut a whole new road to get back into a, a small food plot on a ridgetop and you know, this is the alternative method to getting successful food plots summer blends with the larger seats.
1: Yeah. And so there's a couple of things that you really have to do if you're broadcasting larger seats because the biggest problem is going to be one of the biggest problems is going to be birds, turkeys, <laughs> doves, whatever, different birds carrying them off. Even squirrels, actually <clears throat> squirrels, rats, whatever. And so you're trying to find ways to protect those. Um, and since we don't promote disking and plowing, you know, that's one way people have done it. Even I did it way back when, before I knew kind of what I was doing to the soil health, but they're going to, bro- they're going to plow disc and then they're going to broadcast and they're going to drag it, and cover it up. But, we're not really promoting that and so here's how we've gotten away with it and been very successful with it um, with broadcasting those big seeds and the biggest one of a couple things you always want to plant at a higher seed rate Yeah. so if if you're talking about okay 50 pounds per acre with a no-till drill you're going 80 to 100 with broadcasting
0: because you know that at some point some some seeds not going to fall away through it's not going to get the best seed to soil contact as you would with no-till drill so you're bumping up for that Or birds are going to eat There's still the possibility that birds are going to be able to get to it. Um, So this is kind of a a fail-safe. You want to bump it up knowing that you're going to lose some seed through the process of germination.
1: Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that is really key is having a way to protect it. And since we're always, I mean, we like to plant food plots in the spring and the fall. and Even if it's a very successful stand of soybeans, we would like to plant something in the fall just to kind of fill that, I guess, Understory, if you will, the tall soybeans have something growing below that to kind of grow throughout the winter and protect from erosion and also build that soil back up. But anyway, so now that we're planting in the spring and we're broadcasting, let's say we have a plan to broadcast these mix of soybeans, cowpeas, whatever, these bigger seeds, we're going to use last year's cover crop to help protect that. And so we talk about broadcasting. And then laying that cover crop over, that's almost like a mat to kind of protect that. Uh, There's a lot of stems. There's a lot of plants there to where it not only protects it visually, but also it it also kind of serves as a vapor barrier to help. A weed mat. A weed mat to protect it from from, I guess, the eyes of birds, but also it conserves some of that soil moisture. It helps press that into the soil. Uh, helping seed to soil contact. So that's kind of one of the way. Matt, you had an analogy that, that yeah. fit really well for this. So if,
0: if, if you replicate <clears throat> acorns falling and then leaves falling afterwards, this is pretty much what you're doing to broadcast, no-till broadcast these larger seeds. Acorns fall during in our area during late September, and then we don't have leaf fall until late October, November. And what you see is acorns falling, the seed falling, and then leaves falling over top of that. And when we're planting, we're planting and then rolling or dragging our cover crop and laying it over top of that seed. And if you look around, how many acorns do you have some trees that produce so many acorns? I mean, tons and tons of acorns. And then the next year, you don't see them sprout up as much because deer, turkeys, they're come and they're going to pick up those acorns. And so basically, you're really replicating that exact same process. You're adding a little bit more seed than what you typically would like to expect come back. Or grow and germinate um so it's a really natural process that you're replicating again you're just doing the same thing that acorns fall leaves fall over top you're broadcasting your larger seed and then laying over last year's cover crop which has already been sprayed that's an important step um, you're terminating that cover crop and laying it right over top of the seed that you're broadcasting
1: yeah and so in a nutshell in very simple terms we'll just say first you want to spray the cover crop from last fall Two weeks later, a week later you come in, you broadcast the seed, the soybeans, the red ripper, cowpeas, the whole mix, and then you roll that cover crop over that you've just sprayed a week prior, two weeks prior. And now you've kind of somewhat pressed the seed into the soil, or you've if some of it may have even hung up in last year's cover crop. Now you're kind of shaking it loose. It's going to the it's going to the soil surface, hopefully getting good seed to soil contact. You're laying over that cover crop, it's providing a weed mat, protecting it from Birds and, and the sun squirrels. if
0: you get if you get dry and the sun it can dry out a seed and especially you,
1: those big soft seeds. If exactly. it gets wet, you plant right before rain, you get a quarter inch of rain, and then it gets really hot right afterwards it can it can kill that seed. Swell yep. up and then or it dry or it up. even germinates and yeah and then you get nothing. So really trying to get seed soil contact in this way we found it to be pretty successful. Yeah, so, absolutely. But the key is to have that cover crop um, from last year and not way better success doing this than i have personally from the back in the days of plowing disking turning up the soil then broadcasting and then trying to drag it i was still not having very good success so Mm -hmm. planting a higher seed rate and having something to protect that seed is key
0: and i think you know we're saying cover crop and you know we last week we talked about um our mixes for those um fall blends and one of the most important ones Um, at this time of year that really helps to establish that weed mat is the cereal rye and that um, jumps at this time of year we've got some plots right now that are four and five foot tall but during the entire winter time just because of browse pressure and growing they were maybe six ten inches tall Um, but at this point they have jumped and that's producing a lot of vegetation and that weed mat and that cover crop is going to lay over that seed so really Cereal rye is not all that attractive to deer. Certainly, they're going to eat it at um, an early stage. Right at now, early stages.
1: Once the spring hits, it goes into a stem stage it's really fast, stemmy, and they don't, they don't eat it as but much.
0: It's important to have in the mix because right now is when it benefits really us the most because now it's, it's it's not just a food source, but it's a a tool that we're using to grow additional food.
1: And it's also really good at mining... Nitrogen. Yes. And so now that it's grown up six foot tall, five foot tall, and it has been sprayed and now is breaking down, it's releasing that nitrogen back into the soil surface where roots, whatever the spring mix is, it can tap right into that um, into that nitrogen source mm-hmm. and continue growing and continue that cycle.
0: So it's important to not look at the food plots or the seeds that are in your food plots just as a forage or, you know, oh, deer really like to consume this. It's, it's much, it goes much uh, further than that. You know, you're looking at uh, what's the root system. We talked about that last week, the diversity in the root systems and the cover crops that you're planting. And then what is it mining? What nutrients is it? Is it really good at mining for that next, next crop? And then what does it grow to that next spring um, when it kicks off into growing season? Is it going to give me a lot of tonnage that I can use to help cover um, the seeds I'm planting for my summer or spring food plots? Uh, There's a lot that goes into it, and the high diverse mixtures gives you that um, diversity and gives you those uh, different plant species and structures to help you throughout, basically achieve all those goals, attraction, um, cover crops, you know, a good root system, and protection above the soil, and then, again, as you're rolling it, you got a lot of biomass that's breaking down and harnessing those nutrients for your next crop. Lots go into it, but the process and the technique is actually really simple.
1: Jeez, Matt! All he wanted to know was why, how he <laughs> has success.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, Travis, I hope that helps you, and you're able to use this technique um, this spring, and then conti- continue it throughout your your food plot program.
1: Yeah, and I hope people hear that, and then they'll really start asking more questions. Yeah, it's absolutely. always that's what it's here for. Uh, Land and Lakes Podcast is hopefully to help all. Hunters and landowners uh, be better stewards and and overall, hopefully get more motivated to be a conservation minded person and and get involved in whatever projects they have on the farm to improve the habitat for future generations. So
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that you the conservation minded comment right there really leads us into the Gilmore consult which we were on just yesterday in our area, Taney County, Missouri. And I say conservation-minded because of the habitat or the potential for habitat, restoring habitat, that that 120 acres has. Because it's very, very unique to the Ozark Mountains, but it's an extremely sensitive ecosystem that needs management. And that hasn't happened in years and years and years. So it's really a loss of habitat, but his acreage has the ability to restore that ecosystem. And Adam, I know this one kind of hits a little more. I, I, I
1: loved this consult. Yes, um, you did. I mean, I kind of walked would around, walked around with my jaw hanging down because I was just like, this is going to be so much fun to watch. Um, you know, growing up here in the Ozark Mountains, I've always always heard the term glade. And I don't think it's a term that people outside of the area really know too well.
0: I didn't. I was from Virginia and didn't really know what glades were growing up. So this is new Newish material to me, so it's exciting for me. And I'll just touch
1: what. and say, okay, here's 120 acre property that he got pretty, pretty, a lot of people would say fairly cheap. Um, and the reason for that, I believe, is there's not much timber value and it's it's a, a lot of glade. And glades are very rough looking, very shallow soil,
0: rocky outcroppings. And,
1: and yeah, rock outcroppings. Um, and then just the overall fact that there's so much cedars. Um, cedars are, well, we just read before we started, we are like, I'm going to kind of, there's a couple species we're going to touch on, and we were reading some stuff on them and how the glades are there, are those species' native habitat. And it was just like, how to restore glades, cut cedars is basically what it was, and, and other trees but for the most part cedars are the are the problem and this is due to so there's a lot of native grasses and forbs that grow in these glades and years ago people would turn the cattle on them because they could forage on the native grasses and forbs but as they did that they would eat the glade or eat the grasses down and the forbs down and then not eat other species like cedars and so they were basically eating out all the competition and allowing the cedars just to thrive Mm -hmm. and and over the years now All of, not all, but a majority of the cedar glades, especially on private property, are basically cedar thickets.
0: Well, the glades, you said cedar glades. Oh, cedar glades. Now, unfortunately, they're cedar glades. They're cedar glades,
1: and that's kind of what locals call them, cedar glades. But they're actually glades that should not have cedars on them. And, man, the, the amount of diverse species, the insects, the butterflies everything just thrives on these and most people look at them as just rough country they don't want to get involved in
0: they're very overlooked
1: and so as a hunter especially for the Gilmore brothers that are the owners of this place it's just it's exciting to see the potential and just the overall habitat restoration that's going to go on here and like always through government program they're going to help offset costs yep there's a there's a big initiative for Glade restoration and and a couple for a lot of reasons, but there's some species plant species that are site specific to glades that are species of conservation concern. Then there's also some other things like the eastern collared lizard that thrives on these glades, but they're also a conservation concern species because due to loss of habitat and through the government programs, they're going to do all kinds of glade restoration for in the government's thinking okay we're going to get these eastern collared lizards back and it's going to be great for the butterflies all these species all this native habitat and then they're going to have huge benefit because it's awesome bedding and forage for wildlife
0: i would say seven, 70 to 80 acres were in glades out of this 120 and again you know it, it
1: as a deer hunter i think okay glade bedding area food source during the this summer. growing season summer yes. months spring and summer is fantastic food source but it's also going to be a great bedding area throughout the year as quail there's all kinds of species out there for the quail not only for cover but also food and it's also great for uh quail poults and and also turkey poults, turkey and, poults and it's great incredible uh turkey nest habitat and it's just overall you think of the of the game species they're going to thrive on it but then you think of all the species that are kind of getting this national attention of how they're well, just today I saw the Cheerios um, seed package um, came in the mail. And so there's like this big push to help
0: wildflowers,
1: wildflowers for honeybees and butterflies, monarch butterflies. There's some government programs that are going on for that. So, and those all love the native glades. So, there's a lot of a lot of things that love this habitat, and unfortunately, um, there's not as many native glades in the area due to just cedar encroachment. So, they're going to cut those cedars and start using some prescribed fire, and it's going to be dynamite habitat.
0: And I think you know, it's important to to note that the government program we're talking ninety percent of the cost that it's going to take to restore these glades, whether that's Cutting cedar and prescribed fire is offset because of the government program. So they're getting money in their pocket to be able to improve the habitat for the deer and the turkey, which is their primary concern. But they're getting to do all this habitat work without having to, to basically pay out of pocket for it.
1: And and the amount of, I guess, the benefit that's going to come from this, I don't, I don't even know if you can put a price on it, because it's going to be night and day difference uh, on the property. You know, we walked through 90% of the property, and there was a lot of little blue, and there were some little uh, wildflowers that were just starting to pop. We saw a few flowers uh, blooming, but for the most part we saw a lot of cedar. But then one other thing that was very exciting for me, because I've told Matt, Actually, my grandparents have one of these in their yard, and I showed him just the other day, and I'm like, that's an American smoke tree, and it was kind of like, well, where have we seen that before? We haven't seen it anywhere. This was the first property we'd have actually seen this smoke tree growing, and we did a little research and kind of read more on MDC and how they, I guess, categorize it, Mm -hmm. and it said not many, what did it say, very, almost somewhat rare to see. Correct. And... And it's usually only in a group of a few trees, and this guy's property was covered.
0: Loaded. You couldn't look once you got out into the glades and not see a smoke tree. It was filthy with
1: them. I was kind of drooling at the mouth because I was like, wow, this is is something that's going to be really cool to see. Very special. Something that's very, almost rare. And then once you cut out the cedars and you start getting all the wildflowers coming back and in full bloom, oh, man, that place is going to be so pretty.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and just so unique because you could go to the next hillside or the next property and not have that density of smoke tree. Mm-hmm. Um so he's got something just very special that he's gonna be able to look back on and say, you know, I improved this, I helped this, I helped these smoke trees, I helped, you know, these uh this purple prairie clover, I helped these cone flowers grow because they're they're limited. We could see the the um existence of them from the old stems, but it's gonna flourish. It's gonna be so much more. Um, the 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 density of the, not endangered but the the species that are of concern is going to be really high on that property.
1: Yeah, and not just that. And let's talk about some of the other species that there's a lot of in, that's unique to this area. I mean, they, they we have these species in Missouri, but they're really site specific to mm-hmm. these certain areas that tarantulas you know you, yeah. i don't think of missouri being like i don't i wouldn't say oh i want to go see some tarantulas in missouri i think of like mexico arizona yeah like that, desert like that. yeah and that's the thing about glades they're almost somewhat an arid climate right very, very, very shallow dry. soil very dry but species thrive on them so there's also um scorpions yeah and and then there's also matt's favorite a lot of different snakes that are in through there
0: and this is when i leave the podcast
1: yeah um there's some pygmy rattlesnakes Real small, cool-looking rattlesnakes. Of course, there's timber rattlers all around that area, um, but it's an awesome, awesome environment and ecosystem. And it's just, it's one of those things that oh, I love it because it's it's so great for butterflies, insects, honeybees. But it's also great for deer, turkey, quail, and oh, it's just it's something I could talk about all day long. But,
0: I, I'm sure there's someone out there listening, laughing at you because they they think that, you know Adam Keith, you know. Deer hunter, this and that, and then you just drooled mouth and butterflies and lizards <laughs> yeah. and yeah. You're and they're hope, laughing at you right I now.
1: Honestly, I hope I hope through through it all that this podcast gets people thinking more outside of just deer and turkey, and they start thinking about all the other stuff. Because um, I think that's for me, that's what we should be. We should be overall conservationists and indirect management. Yeah, and we should be thinking habitat management and not just okay let's clear out trees and I want to plant a food plot for deer and the heck with everything else I, I don't I don't like thinking like that at all in fact I don't and it's like how can we how can we improve habitat for everything that's native to this area mm-hmm. and so that's why this seeing this native glade and everything going on there I was just whoo it'll be so much fun to watch it,
0: it really kind of hits our goals right in the heart um, of what what we're trying to do and and, uh, this property is even though, I mean, it's 120 acres, it's nothing huge, but it's a start and it's going to help that area and hopefully spread the word of the ecosystem and the potential that that entire area has, because we were kind of laughing. The location, um, was called Cedar Creek. It's like, Oh, cedars. Yeah. There's a lot of work to be done in this area. Um, cause if, if you've listened, you, you know how much we're a fan of cedar trees, but, you know, it, this is just a, a small piece, you know, a starting point um, for this area that hopefully will, will kind of take off and, and show the improvement. Um, but we've got other, what, 50 other acres to really talk about because there's additional programs that they're going to be able to use to increase deer and turkey numbers. And uh, that's just not, well, for me, I could say just as exciting, but really important to their overall management plan as well.
1: Yeah, but you know, before we dive into that, I just got to laugh thinking about he got this property at such a affordable rate. I mean, truly, he 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 got a great deal on this property, and for a lot of reasons, I think I think people that probably looked at it went, "Oh my goodness, there is no way I would get near that property. It's rough. No. I don't. You see all the cedar trees on it. I don't want to get involved in that. It's going to cost way too much money and." It's hard to get uh, it's, to. It's hard to get to. There's too much work involved. I just don't want – I'm looking for a hunting property, not a not a project yeah. of – a work project where I have to work on it for 10 years. And it's like just be, now that this guy knows about the government programs and, and, and he's going to use those to his his advantage, in five years, now once the plan is in effect, the, the plan that we wrote him up and he's going to take that plan, he's going to start turning this property around – in five years, it won't even look like the same place. And Not I even close. guarantee you, anybody that—if there was a possibility to take people that looked at that property and said, hey, "This is what you were thinking about this buying," you and, and, and you pass it, and now look at it, I think people would definitely kick themselves.
0: Which is why we want to share that information because it doesn't have to be this beautifully manicured property to buy, and, and you can you can turn them around and, and get them to that point. And, and a
1: lot of times, that's that's the properties. If you're a hunter and you're trying to find land on a budget. You got to find the properties that have been used and abused. Where, you know, the, the don't give, don't ever give up on a property just because it looks ugly to you. At, at look past that. And, future.
0: Got to look into the future.
1: And this is just like we talked. We see properties that have been cut and cut and cut, and they're you're kind of like, oh man, that's ugly. But then you think about, wow, there's a lot of open canopy there. There's going to be a lot of young growth. There's going to be a lot of early succession. Deer are gonna love it, and it's at a very cheap rate because people are like oh there's no timber value mm-hmm. we're in timber country so it's like well yeah but also the deer hunting is going to be dynamite so exactly that's what i think about that property i just got a smile thinking about that guy got a great deal he's a good hard-working guy he found a, he looked around and found a great deal on a property he bought it and called us and we went down there and we we're just like you did you, good
0: you got yourself a
1: gem buddy you did good and uh, so yeah but then when you look outside of the glade We'll start talking about the. It's kind of a post oak type it's very habitat, very post oak heavy. And yeah. you know, you talk about the the natural, I, I guess, the natural history of the Ozark Mountains and what it was before settlement and lack of fire and and everything else that happened to it. There's this native post oak savanna, which is basically big post oak scattered around with all types of native grasses and forbs growing underneath and throughout in between the trees. So it's almost like I'm trying to think of a way for people to get a picture of this because you don't see it much anymore.
0: What I try and describe is you you got a farmer who just dozed out some wooded area for a pasture, and he left some standing trees, scattered standing trees, some big oaks for some shade for his cows, and they're just kind of dotted throughout this pasture. Now he put fescue on there. Imagine that density of trees. But with warm season grasses, native warm Instead season grasses. Instead of having
1: fescue, a foot and a half, two foot tall, you've got native grasses, chest high, five, six, or even tall. over your head, tall with all sorts of native wildflowers and other forbs and stuff growing throughout that. And it's just, oh,
0: that's what's to, to imagine. That's the imagery you need to have when, I guess we we speak of post oak savanna. So we, now, obviously, doesn't look anything <laughs> like that. It looks just like a. a a forest, a thick forest. A post
1: oak forest. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of... The big trees, since it is in this glade habitat, the soil is very shallow. And so you don't see these big veneer quality trees, no. like white oaks and stuff. It's post oaks. And then you look and you're looking and there's a lot of hickories coming in and, a lot, and there's a lot of cedars. A lot of cedars scattered in And there. there's scattered smoke trees, but there's not many of those. A um, lot of dogwood too. A lot of dogwood. And so... Basically, what this guy's goal will be, it will be to possibly use a government program to get it back to Post Oak Savannah, and so that'll be cutting out a lot of the understory that's these dogwoods and and uh, some hickories and getting it back to what it should be, what it was before we stopped it, stopped burning it and keeping that stuff at bay. So he's going to open it up, and it's just going to be even more forage and bedding in the woods and uh, prescribed fire is going to be a huge part to his property. Huge. And then for the hunting, you know, and that's another thing. We we dove into this property. We probably covered 80% of the property, mm-hmm. and we're just now getting to what a lot of people want to talk about first, and that's food plots. Correct. And th- I guess when you're ranking priority, you're starting to hopefully understand where food plots rank on that list.
0: For us, yeah. I, I think it's important because – when you food t- plots, you know, generally, let's say we've got 120 acres and the amount of land that can, acreage that can support a food plot on this property, again, shallows or soil, maybe maybe five acres you could get food plots in because of the, the terrain. And so let's not focus the majority of our time on five acres when there's 115 other acres that we need to cover full management of this property
1: and we can enter one government program and manage 75 to 90 acres of this glade restoration yes and that'll be a food source and then bedding so for us that's the that's the largest majority of the of the of the farm so, so that's takes, where we're going number it takes one priority absolutely and then number two the next big area is the the timber and the post oak savannah restoration that's priority number two then we start looking down okay what else and and then we dive into the food plots. But, you know, we're talking about the glade restoration. Fire is going to be a huge part of that. This is something we haven't touched on. This watch actually go before the food plots is creating fire lines and using prescribed fire. Because once you get those cedars cut and you've opened up the canopy on the glades, you're going to want to throw a fire through there and uh, clean it up, start some re- regeneration of those native grasses and forbs. And, oh, I want to go back.
0: And the the... Fire line creation is paid by the foot. That's correct, right? Yeah. So as he implements this plan and puts in these fire lines, he can get a dozer in there. And because much of the property is either Glade or the post oak savanna, it's going to have fire throughout the entire property. So what he's going to have is a new road system, a dozed road system around his property Get paid to do it, so now he's got access to the entire property, and he can comfortably do prescribed fire and maintain his property the way it should be. And he was paid to do so because he put in the fire line under the that was a, program. That was a
1: habitat restoration program, but he's going to get huge benefit for hunting purpose because exactly. now he's not driving right through the center of the property, driving through food plots to get. A, from the southwest portion to the north central portion he's going to be able to slip around the edge and uh, get in there because we're assuming his deer are going to be bedded near the the glade or on the edge and so he'll be able to maneuver around without bumping the deer and be way ahead of the game when it comes to hunting so we've got five acres of food plots now um, possibly using government program one thing i will say is a lot of times there's like a ceiling on your government program so you can't just go in and Say, okay, I want to do all this work first year. There's usually a budget. And so if you hit the ceiling the first year, you're going to have to either pay it out of your pocket or wait till the next year, go back into another government program, pay for it, kind of hit the ceiling that year, and you just work it off year after year. And uh, that's what he may be doing just because this could be, there's so many government programs. Pretty much everything he's going to do on his property, there's a government program for it. Everything prescribed, he can get
0: cost share for it
1: Mm -hmm. maybe not first year but over time he will and
0: which is which is fine because for his property there's priorities and he needs to take care of this first then this and then this so the natural progression you know we're not we're not gonna turn that 120 acres um overnight it's going to take a couple years to develop which is perfect for these plans it's
1: going to take a lifetime to continue oh yeah and so that's another management habitat conservation is is not something that's done in one year in one food plot planning, it's something that's done in your lifetime. And I, hopefully it's something that gets ingrained in your children and your grandchildren to where it's it's going way past your life. Mm-hmm. The yep. habitat and the conservation that you taught is continuing.
0: I'm not going to put words into Brandon's mouth, but like, I bet he didn't think that there's so much work to be done when he bought the property. And then on top of that, didn't know that... There was funds to be able to help him do th- do so and the continued management of it. But at the end of the consult, he was pretty jacked up knowing, okay, this is what's in store for this property. I can see what these guys are talking about and how it's going to benefit and where I'm going to be able to get to and how I'm going to be able to get to those steps that I need to take. And to see his excitement is, is awesome.
1: That's what it's all about. Exactly. We helped the landowner – understand more about his property and what he needs to do and, and got him awarded of the whole conservation, habitat, restoration for the whole property. And we walked away knowing that is going to be a place we want to go back to and see oh, the amount of work done and hear about the changes that have occurred. And, and it's just, uh, oh, I can go on and on about this property. That's going to really be good. It's going to be It's going to be so good. Um, I can't really think of, you know— I think I, I mentioned it earlier. I just gotta talk about it some more. Here we go. The eastern collared lizard that is in that area. Uh he's not far from Glade Top Trail, he's actually pretty close to Hercules Glade, which is a wilderness area, which there are some of these collared lizards there. And yeah, we're talking about lizards. <laughs> lizards. <laughs> but in this you take about the government programs, there's a this is one of those conservation uh concern species and so they would definitely be all about, the government would be excited about this. And I just want people to go Google the eastern collared say, lizard and I, just, because you're probably thinking a little old blue-tailed lizard it gets tail that's cut four off and inches, it. four inches long. <laughs> this is the eastern collared lizard, which is eight to 14 inches long at maturity. And it's got this cool black band around his neck. He's turquoise and sometimes orange colors. It's just a beautiful thing. And it's very, very, it's rare. And we're going to improve the habitat for that thing. And that's just exciting to me. Yeah. And the deer are going to benefit from improving the habitat for that. But at this point we're talking about conservation and conservation doesn't always fall for deer, Turkey quail. It's all species and especially native species for me. And, and, this is something that's native. It's lost habitat. Now let's do something about it. Can I get a woo? Oh, my god!
0: <laughs> we're going to have to turn down the volume on that one. Yeah. Woo.
1: So, anyway, I think we pretty well covered everything about the one Gilmore. Thing,
0: if they got a question on what a glade looks like or what the property looks like, mm. today, April 26th, we're recording. We put up a picture of this console, the location. The glade. The glade on a Facebook, and Legacy's Facebook. If you got a question, you're trying to envision what this looks like, and Instagram, what this looks like, check back on Facebook, April 26th, and you'll be able to see, and hopefully visualize what it is. Oh, that's what they're talking about. Some scattered openings and cedars and encroachment and some smoke trees in there and chinkapins and post-oaks. I get it. So check back on Facebook and, and Instagram pages. Get a visual. And then... Check out what the heck of uh, Eastern, Eastern Collared, collared Lizard. Collared, yeah.
1: Because Matt never heard of one of those out in Virginia. And so nope. introducing him to all sorts of different habitat and species around here in the Ozark Mountains. And it's fun. And, uh, you know, yeah. Google that thing. Google the, the glades, the Ozark glades. Smoke tree. Google a smoke tree. Read about that. There's all kinds of smoke trees. Really cool. It's got a name because when it's flowering, it's seed heads flowering. It's, it almost looks like smoke coming off the tree. It's
0: Really wispy. Yeah, uh, blooms on it.
1: And it's it's just a really cool tree. And uh, anyway, with all that habitat work on that property, let's get back. The deer hunting is going to improve. Yes. Turkey hunting is going to improve. Possibility of having quail really start coming in on the property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that'd be really cool to hear those whistling in the spring when you're chasing turkeys. And then all your other species are going to benefit. Your monarch butterfly, your honeybees, collared lizard, hopefully, all that. And so just overall habitat conservation is key, especially on this property. It's going to be jam up, jam up, jam tight. up uh, with wildlife. So I don't really have anything else to add about that. Um, so we're, so we're done talking about, we're the done Eastern talking about the lizard lizard, and, uh, and quail and all that stuff. So okay. all right. I, I just hope we got that emphasis across it. Let's start talking about conservation. And, and I think, uh, no,
0: it's an, it's a very important emphasis um it, this goes beyond like you said deer and turkey right, all around habitat conservation and this was the perfect property to talk about to illustrate that point
1: oh you know what i just thought of we haven't even talked about it. it's not even on the notes but we did something i did something my brother and i did it um this past week we actually used the government program on our prairie hollow property that's right the home base how could can't we be believe... so,
0: so silly to forget
1: i can't forget that i had a uh, chainsaw and my brother had a chainsaw and we cut out this is this is kind of funny to me one acre one acre government program uh, people may think you have to have 50 acres or but we cut out one acre of a uh, glade restoration area and all we had to do was cut the cedar and if cedars really weren't that thick I don't know how many cedars we cut there was quite a few but they were just scattered throughout this glade and same thing um, as as the Gilmore property We're going to cut that out, send some fire through there, continue to burn it, keep it in early succession. And it's going to be just another really cool area with wildflowers, but it's going to be a dynamite bedding area for the deer.
0: And one thing we haven't really talked too much about is that the majority of these glades are on south and west facing slopes. Mm -hmm. So during the wintertime, when you're hunting deer in fall, that's where the sun is shining. And hello, that's perfect Bedding. bedding habitat. And the way that, that specific glade sits, it's on a slope, and deer are going to work up the, the, basically, spine of the ridge right to a food plot. That's another government program, honestly, but on top of the mountain and right there where we'll be waiting. It's instantly. kind of a,
1: a ridge that just dead ends. The ridge heads really to goes. the south and dead ends, and, and there's kind of scattered... You know, when when we're talking about government program, a lot of times when they're trying to decide, let's say it's a glade, they're going to look at the soil side index yep. and the soil type there and say, does it qualify? Is it actually a glade based on this? And, and even though only one acre, I guess, was entered technically, technically by their certification um, was a glade, you look around, there's still glady area all around it. So even though we're just going to cut out – even though – we're only in one acre. We're only going to get paid to clear out one acre. We're going to cut out the rest of the ridge because that's what we should do. Yeah, that's what yep. it looks like to us. I mean, it's the same. It, it looks almost exact same. A lot of little blue stem growing, a lot of native. There's rattlesnake, master, purple prairie clover, coneflowers. There's all those there's that Indian grow there. grass last year. inning grass in that. them and a lot of cedars that are encroaching on it. And so we're getting paid to cut out one acre, but we're going to cut a lot more than that. And we're going to turn this whole little dead-end ridge, and it's actually always been called Glady Ridge. We're going to turn that into a dynamite bedding area and find a few places to hunt it to where we can just slip in and be close to the bedding area. And uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be good. And so, yeah.
0: That's I, another little project update on old Prairie Hollow Farm. Yeah. And, and- um, soon, the loggers are going to be coming in there. We've had that scattered rain over the past, honestly, it's been about a month. It's like every single week we get a couple inches of rain, which is great. Don't get me wrong. I, you, we, we need the rain. But the loggers a little delayed, which is okay, I guess, too, because now we can turkey hunt it without too much interruption. But um, he's going to be coming really any time now. And um, we'll be able to give some further updates on his progress and, and what he's doing and dive into um, his plan and, and share some of those updates on social media as well. Because uh, that's going to be another. That's huge. That's six six hundred acres, four hundred of which is getting
1: select cut logged. Mm-hmm. That'll be very exciting to follow along. The logger actually told us he'll be there probably. He's guessing about six months, and so there's going to be a lot of a lot of talks about timber harvest, mm-hmm. and uh, that's something that's not often talked about. That I believe needs to be talked about, as we talked about. Ozark native Ozark habitat and what it was before settlement. It was a lot of that oak savanna, mm-hmm. and there wasn't there wasn't this huge closed canopy timber tracks that we have now. And it's just due to <laughs> I guess I'll I'll try to tiptoe around this is a management that is the management of I'm not going to do anything. My my timber is maturing, and it's so close canopy it takes a lot longer to mature and reach, I guess marketable size. But open canopy timber grows a lot faster, obviously. And so that's what we're trying to get back to. We're trying to get back into this semi-open canopy timber to where there's a lot of early succession growing throughout the timber. It's providing food and cover in an area that was once (laughs) a desert. There wasn't much food other than acorns. There was almost no early succession growth because it was such a closed canopy. And so we're going to open that up, and that's that's. That's what's coming.
0: One important figure, especially in our area, but most of Missouri, unmanaged timber only reaches a third of its potential in its lifetime if it's left unmanaged. So again, this is our, our almost duty to manage the timber appropriately. And this you is said just
1: almost. One. This is our duty as a duty. As, I would think as a land. If Owners. you bought land, that's what goes with it. Is you're a land manager now, mm-hmm. and you have you should. In my eyes, in my opinion, you should be motivated to find the best way to manage that land, and that's this. It's
0: kind of like when you have a baby. You can't neglect it. You can't neglect your timber,
1: right? Mm -hmm. No, you can't, or you shouldn't. Right. A lot of people are, but hopefully we can change that. Yep. I don't really have anything else to add. We kind of looked at each other and was like, (laughs) you got something to say? No, I don't have anything to say. Are are you talking? No, I'm, I'm not talking, so... That pretty well wraps it up for this week. Uh, I think we've covered four topics, even though we started out thinking we were going to talk about three. But yeah. that got there's a lot of cool stuff going on this past week. Next week, there will be more cool stuff going on. We're going to start getting closer and closer to food plots and, and getting ready to plant and weather dependent. And weather
0: so, dependent. But guess what we're doing tomorrow? Setting the alarm clock for 4.15, getting up and turkey hunting again because rain's is moving up out.
1: To 4.15? Yeah. Oh, it's oh. been 4 o'clock for me. Oh,
0: wow.
1: 4 o'clock, but I like to shower. I don't like to you stink. You shower That's before what,
0: you go turkey hunting?
1: Yes. Are you serious? That's... Absolutely. I shower because have oh you, have you looked outside lately? All the pollen? I wake up in the morning and it's just like. You don't shower before you go to I bed? Got, I, got a, I do it both. Oh, my gosh. I shower twice in a day.
0: You little girl. I, 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 That's why you're late half the time. <laughs>
1: yeah, late. Says the guy who's taxiing with me all week.
0: Hey, my wife's car has been in the shop. I've been very All right, that's that you enough me up.
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> enough for this week. Let's, let's hash this out without microphones. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, thanks for everybody joining along. Once again, if you guys got questions, you want us to cover something, anything habitat management, feel free to reach out to us on TV and sign up right there. And you can send us emails. If you've got questions about food plots, habitat management, timber stand improvement, whatever it is, all things conservation, give us a shout. We'd love to hear from you and love to hear your questions, and we'd love to answer them right here on the podcast. So thank Matt, you, you, Travis, for
0: sending in your question. Hopefully that answered it well and look to, look to hear back from you.
1: Yeah. Well, that wraps us up. So we'll talk to you guys all next week.